our Amazon uh, AI is uh, now answering questions instead of telling us that her, her mind is going. That all might go in a mini episode, this conversation here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Sociology 101 is a great way to end the movie. Who else are you podcasting <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max, and Jason is not going to be with us on this intro. This week, I'm trying something a little new. I'm going to put out an episode I'm calling The Meanderings. The reason why I'm doing this is in part because our podcast on Logan was epically large, and I'm trying to whittle that down into a reasonable episode or pair of episodes. So bear with me on that. It will be out next week, probably in two parts. That's my plan at any rate. The other part of that, in part reason, was that before or after Jason and I record, we often have some fairly interesting conversations that range widely from comic books to books to other movies to politics to social commentary. And I thought that prior to Logan, we had a particularly interesting set of conversations. So I'm giving you those. Bear with us. Next week, we'll have Logan either in one or two parts, and you guys can listen to our thoughts on that. In the meantime, the meanderings. Enjoy. And to start that meandering process out, Jason and I had been discussing prior to our Logan episode the origin of Wolverine in a Hulk comic book, which led us into a discussion of Thor Ragnarok and many, many other things. And there you go. That's all the info. That's all the intro. I think you need. Well, it amuses me too. I really like. I like Bruce's response to that too. That doesn't sound right. Even though, even though, if you watch the fight, Thor was outmatched, but he was going to pull it out. It looked like he might have won. He might have won. Yeah, with, because he because he uh, he had the lightning, and the lightning worked out for him a little bit, right? Yeah. So yeah, he was he was probably going to win that one, though he was he was doing poorly for a while. Um, well, because he, again, because he he really was outmatched. Yeah. Uh, but but of course the Hulk was not necessarily in his uh, he didn't have all of his limited faculties anyway and he he wasn't really in in I mean I don't think he was really into the fight much other than just like sort of maintaining his credibility Marvel hasn't given us the MCU hasn't given us Hulk at his most dangerous really yet well you know and and I I actually I don't think that that even in the comic that we've really gotten the full Thor Hulk fight that we've always all wanted no no I don't think so either I don't think so either because I think those two like each other too much to really cut loose on one another and, and unload but I, I think Marvel's just waiting for the moment to give us the full Hulk I, I thought we were going to get the full Hulk at the end of Endgame but then I was really happy because Endgame is an Avengers movie and for me especially a nice way to close out the phase one heroes that 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 roster and 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 in keeping true to I think the Avengers they're formed around that triune of Cap Tony and Thor and so it was good that they had that moments at the end of Endgame to really shine. I see, and I and I agree with that. And now the Avengers are not always that, but I just remember the kid that whenever those three were there, it's like, well, I don't care about who else is in the group. You can rotate that however you want, but if you have those three, that's the Avengers. Yeah. And so I like that. And and uh, but it's also very much in keeping with the series that they aren't always there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's you know that that's gonna be good, but maybe maybe not as good, and that's a risk. That doesn't mean that it won't be worth watching. I I think that the MCU has quite a challenge ahead, uh, but it's a no 
global challenge. When you've when you've hit the greatest grand slam of all time, you should be forgiven if the next time you only hit a triple or a mere home run with nobody on base. Yes, yes, yes. I almost feel like that it it could go two ways. It could either be a, an albatross that they can't reach and they shouldn't look at it that way, or it should free them up to say, look, we already we already nailed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can play around now. We don't have to top that because everybody's on board. We still have established characters. Let's not do what other people have done and try to do too much. Let's just let's just have fun. Absolutely. No. And I think that's the I think that's the right approach. And it, it, by the looks, it seems like that's what they're doing. I mean, like the whole time travel thing i mean that's just a playground if, if you want to if you want to go there right and uh, the multiverse that gives them lots of opportunities to bring in characters that they've wanted to bring into the mcu for a long time except like rumor is that that they're trying to develop something for hugh jackman and and mark ruffalo they're trying to they're trying to develop a hulk wolverine movie i i am still not past the no one can play wolverine but hugh jackman idea i i i, 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 I know I, I can be talked out of it but i'm not past it yet i don't know if you're gonna have to be it sounds like they're trying to get hugh jackman to come back which which is a bit of a problem i i think a problem for the for the marvel studios because to coax hugh jackman back into the role i think they're gonna have to have a bang-up script that's gonna you know it can be fun it doesn't have to be like serious like the movie we're going to discuss tonight but i mean i think that it's going to have to be something that that gets him willing to go back to the gym to get into the condition that he has to get in for these roles you know well 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 but hold on hold on that's almost like being a uh, keyboardist or something in 1968 and being invited by the beatles to play on their album and saying well look you guys have a good album set up i mean have you have you written good songs like you know at this point i don't th- i think marvel's kind of proven themselves no no i i get that i i I think that they're going to have to they're going to have to entice him with a good if they're not going to give him a script to see first they're going to have to entice him with a good team now marvel is a good team already we know that but you know he doesn't want to get there with his keyboard and be like and paul and john are like hey we're going to be doing like the uh oh we're going to be doing the uh we're going to be doing the uh uh what is it ringo what are we going to do row 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 your boat I did a terrible Beatles impression there, but you don't want to get there and do row, 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 you don't. But you know, and and of course, you know, this is all tied to what we're going to talk about tonight. And again, I have not followed the uh, the business aspect of it. Donner Productions, they, as far as I know, they still own the cinematic rights to X-Men. Now, they're a very flexible production company Yeah, that they'll participate in anything. Well, I think so. I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think that the Donner company would probably be happy to, uh, you know, work with the MCU. They've got to be easier to work with than Sony so right but, but I'm talking about Hugh Jackman because I know that um, in making the film that we're going to talk about tonight that he didn't want to come back for this unless the script good which is what you're kind of implying but he trusted James Mangold he also mentioned Lauren Schuler Donner as someone that he trusted and and I'm not certain I mean I know Disney owns 20th Century Fox I know that that's all done but but the Donner company is not owned by 20th Century Fox and they own the rights to X-Men releases okay I believe and Go ahead, keep talking. Unless, yeah. Huh? Keep talking. Unless there's some buyout, the Donner Company will have to be involved. And and I know that the MCU prefers to just have you know streamlined production with Feige and and they and that has worked. That has worked very well. It's it's almost it's very interesting. It's almost a return to the studio system and a, a an argument for the studio system, but a studio system that supports directoral artistic expression. Okay. 
But if I'm not mistaken, the Donners, they bought the rights to make an X-Men movie in the early 90s. And as long as they, as long as the company owns that, they're going to have to be involved. It doesn't look like that's the case, though. According to Vox, Disney has X-Men back. Marvel well, got back together with the X-Men, but it's complicated. Another headline was like, uh, here's one from uh, Newsweek, when they talk about Disney acquired 20th Century Fox, made a new deal with Sony, and now the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man will be part of the same Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, that doesn't now that doesn't mean that the Donners aren't involved, but it looks like... No, the, wait, there is a difference. There is a difference. Because what they're talking about there is distribution. Mm. And that is different than the company that has the rights to make the movie. Okay. I mean, okay. I don't know. If that, I mean, I... I I'm sure you're right. I'm just not seeing that in any of the news uh, things, but I'm sure you're right. No, well, no, but, but I have not heard anything about that. So, I mean, things might have changed, but but what you just said and analyzing what you just said, that what you said is true, but even in what you just said, that could just refer to distribution. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So that, so, you know, it's, okay, like for example, I it's possible that if they made another Iron Man movie, which they won't because Tony's dead, Yeah. but if they made another Iron Man movie, it is quite possible that either they would have to include Paramount, because mm-hmm. Paramount had signed a distribution deal. It was distributed by Paramount. I don't know if you noticed that. I did. And it was after Disney had bought Marvel. Okay. And John Favreau's production company, because when Iron Man was made, they were still including those side production companies. And so John Favreau's production company was involved with all three Iron Man movies. Yeah. yeah. Now, they don't do that anymore. They don't include those little production companies anymore. It's yeah. just... Marvel Studios distributed by Disney. But however, there there would be some, there might be some contractual stuff where the Donner Company would have to be involved. Now they could probably edit out oh, Simon Kinberg and Hutch Parker and BSG Entertainment. Like they could probably edit them out yeah, because, yeah. because Disney owns all of that now. But the Donners bought the rights to the X-Men to make X-Men movies before 20th Century Fox even got on board. Well, here, here, here. From superhero hype, Lauren Schuler Donner isn't producing Marvel's X-Men films. In some ways, Lauren Donner deserves credit for the modern superhero movie boom. She personally acquired X-Men rights in 94 and helped kickstart the franchise that finally concluded with Dark Phoenix. If not for that film, yada, yada, yada. Donner recently sat down with film to talk several about several of her upcoming projects. In addition to revealing that she hasn't seen Dark Phoenix yet, Donner spoke about whether she will... Ouch! So X-Men now belongs... X-Men now be- This is from the... This is a quote from her... X-Men now belongs to Disney and it's in their capable hands, said Donner. That's really up to Kevin Feige. He started out with me and I trust him. I think whatever he does, it won't be right away. I think he's already dealing with the plan that he set in motion for the Marvel Universe, but I will not be involved most probably. I'll be a friend of the court. Wow. Simon Kinberg accepts responsibility for Dark Phoenix's performance. Well done, Simon. Uh, this is all old news. But uh, anyway, yeah, but, there's the, that's the, I, the news from yeah, the, but, the desk of Laura Schuler Donner. Yeah, but, you know, but I suspect if we go back to do a uh, a, a a Trinity review with Anya, I, I think I kind of suspect that she and I will be on the same camp. I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Dark Phoenix defender. Have you seen it? Oh, I, you know, I, I did. I did. I actually, I, I, I let me let me share with you some a text from this very evening, Jason, from our from our our sometimes co-host, friend of the podcast, friend of the podcast. Let's see here, where were we on 
Yeah, we were chattering away. I gave her my my X-Men canon, and I'll give you that too, so you can kind of see what you think. Sorry, we had to sing the praises of the singer verse, and I gotta get back to... Okay, so here it is. So here is the true X-Men canon. This is all from me. X-Men, X-Men 2, The New Mutants, The Wolverine, X-Men, Days of Future Past, The Deadpool films, and Logan. And she said, did you just get rid of the movies you didn't like? <laughs> Indeed, I'm still debating about Dark Phoenix. It may be allowed. I kind of like it. That's a bad movie. No, 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 no. She doesn't agree. Or rather, I like parts of it. The fight on the train was great. But you're right, it's mostly terrible. I will just say, the fight on the train happened. X-Men 3 had cool moments too, if that's your argument. No, I see, I disagree with that. I, I actually, you know, in my rewatch, mm -hmm. uh, X-Men 3, is, 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 if it's possible, it's even worse than I thought. I tried to watch it. I couldn't get through it. I think here's the difference. Like, I, I accept what you say about Apocalypse, mm -hmm. but I kind of like it. But I think that you're right. But Dark Phoenix, when I when I finished it, I was like, you know, I, I there's some of the acting scenes that, and I don't blame the actors. I think that I think Kinberg's his inexperience as a director shows. Oh yeah. I, I will never say that it's a really good movie. Yeah. But the things that it does well, it doesn't get credit for. Well, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think there are some things I would cut out or would have reshot but i think that i think for me i think it goes in the x-men canon i think it does, even though i think it's not it's not up to par with the other films but like you said what it does well it does it does well and the overall story i can quite tolerate i, I like i like most of it you know I, I like i like the way they try and rescue the dark phoenix story but but you know and 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 something to think about too is that the franchise has sort of written itself into a hole that was tough to get out of with the dark phoenix i thought like how do you pull it off we've done it once already now we're going to try and go back to that well and i mean I, I i do think it could have been better yeah no and actually to go back to what started this little sideline i agree with you i think simon kinberg is to blame because i think that i i don't think it's a bad script i don't think it's a bad story i think that some of the scenes i, I think it's got a good cast but i think kinberg did not with the younger uh, the younger performers like there's an early scene in the movie was between scott and gene and i you know i finally like them as scott and Gene, but there's a scene, it's there, they have a moment alone together, and their interaction just seems so kind of phoned in. Yeah. I was very aware that, you know, it's not the performers. It's Kinberg was just like, cut, print. Yeah. It's possible she wasn't feeling the performance from Scott because he had borrowed George Michael's muscle shirt to to wear under his costume because he he, he didn't work out and they had to give him they had to give him fake muscles. Yeah, okay. Well, and I and that would be Mark Singer's fault for casting him. Mm -hmm. in, right? So, I mean... I think you mean Brian Singer? Yes, I imagine. So, there are places where I would give him a pass. There are places where I would say where I would say, you know, you should have reshot that scene because it's not that you have bad performers, but you didn't get what you wanted. And the reason that it, sh and the reason that shows to me is that it's very, it's very, very clear that um, McAvoy and um, Magneto. Oh God, now that you've done that to me, I don't know. Uh, Fastbender. Michael Fastbender. They have been doing this for so long. They know the characters. Oh, they're great. They are so good at it that they're beyond direction and their material carries the film to an extent the action scenes i think carry it to an extent i not think it is mediocre sure it is not a terrible movie and i will i will defend that it's better than apocalypse apocalypse is a lot of wasted opportunity with that cast i mean it's sort of flat for me in a lot of places uh, i re 
really wanted to like it. But they shoe they shoehorn in the a Wolverine scene in that one, don't they? Which is not good. It's not good, no. Um, but another thing, score done by Hans Zimmer. So actually, I think the music's very good. There are a lot of things about it. Everyone refers to it as the film that killed the series. Um, I don't know. If X-Men 3 didn't kill the series, you can't blame it on Dark Phoenix. You know? but, well, but you, but, but you would say Apocalypse. And I would suggest to you, this film is better than Apocalypse. And, I, and I'm afraid, so I guess what I'm afraid of is that there might be people that agree with you about Apocalypse yeah. who didn't watch this movie, either because they read reviews or because they didn't like Apocalypse. And I and I do think this movie's worth watching. I, I think that it was a combination of the 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 stumblings in Apocalypse and the bad press, the, the early bad press before the film had even come out. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you and I didn't watch it for a year, yeah. right? You know, Everyone said it was so bad. And it wasn't, it wasn't that it's bad. It's not that bad. It's no. not that bad at all. Now, now I, I am aware, and I think you told me that, I think you said Bill told you, or, or Jason told you, that there were a lot of reshoots. Yeah. And I see why, because the plot is very similar to Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think, you know, whatever reshoots they did, the final action scene on the train is fine. Oh, my God. No, that's one of the best. That's one of the best superpower scenes in the Magne- Magneto. <laughs> oh, when, like there's a moment where he's getting ready to stab somebody. I just thought this was so brilliant with a with a piece of metal and the guy like blocks his stab and then he just lets go of the knife and it goes zipping into the guy's neck. And I was like, they understand Magneto. This is great. You know? <laughs> Right. And we've seen great Magneto moments, but this, I guess one of the things I did dig about that, that film is that like the films always have good Wolverine moments for the most part. I, I sometimes think of action beats in terms of characters, like, you know, all the Lord of the Rings movies have great, what they called leggy moments. Right. You know, Legolas. Yeah. Being badass, right. Every film had that. It's a good X-Men film if it has some nice Magneto moments, Maggie moments, I guess we might call them. Yeah. So I know I, and it had that. The film for me, it really won me over in the third act. I was like, oh, this is this is starting to cook. It's taken uh, a while to build, but it's it's got me here. It, it's it's hooked me. Now I would argue that the only reason it fails in the early acts is that there's some poorly directed dialogue acting scenes that could have been pretty good. Oh, I and think so. I don't really give Kinberg a pass. I do give I, I do grade him on a curve because it is his first it's his directoral debut he's a very good producer he's a very good writer and i think that he has been criticized a little bit too much Mm -hmm. his first performance i don't i'll I'll distill what i'm saying in just one sentence this is not a terrible film i think that's fair i think that's fair yeah that all might go in a mini episode this conversation here (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean i mean even though i think that you had said anya had had recommended this movie long ago that we do it well she said we should watch it um she and I watched it actually when she was in town last holiday season or sometime earlier this summer. And we both had fun with it. But, you know, there were there were these moments where it was like, well, that's a stumble. That's not like when they kill off Mystique. Like, why even have I, I only like what, that was too quick. It was almost reminiscent of killing off Cyclops at the beginning of X-Men 3. It was unnecessary and it didn't it didn't drive home and, and this was Anya's complaint and I, I certainly agreed with it, that we didn't get the establishment of that friendship between Mystique and Phoenix, Jean Grey. I, I, now, now, I would agree with that, but one, again, could lay that at Brian's 
singer's door. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely. You know, and this is one of those moments where they should have where they should have spent a little more time. They should have slowed the screenplay down. This would have been an excellent moment for a montage. You know, where we see them basically they could have recreated the montage at the beginning of Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Alyssa Milano having a bunch of fun as father and daughter, but in this case it's Mystique and Phoenix and that would have established that friendship. I, mean, I would have been all we needed, really. We just needed a little bit extra, I thought, to make Jean Grey's, oh my God, I just killed my best friend. Well, well, but, but, but you know, it, it's interesting. It's almost like that it's a reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early X-Men films, you had Brian Singer setting the table beautifully and then, and then, and then the meal was marred by a bad main course. Yes, yes. In this, it's more that... You had a lot of, of crap, you know, a lot of carbohydrates, maybe a lot of sugar. And then when the final meal is served, we're not able to appreciate it because it wasn't set up very well. Because in X-Men Apocalypse, there could have been time spent about those two characters that you're talking about. Absolutely. If I remember right, I think Kinberg wanted this to be two movies. That might have yeah. been a good idea. And I mean, there is an element to this and you could you could blame Fox or who knows, maybe of being rushed. Like they wanted to get this story out the door and. Oh yeah. But, but I believe this was made right when Marvel, uh, when Disney bought Fox. Gotcha. I think that played a factor because. Yeah. I mean, obviously they want to, yeah, finish the film, but this is not our priority. Yeah. Well, I think that happened with new mutants and I quite like the movie, the new mutants. It's not, I haven't seen it. It's not a perfect adaptation of that kind of classic, the classic New Mutants, but it's it's fine Fox X-Men storytelling, I think. I like it a lot, actually. It's a horror movie, right? It is kind of a horror movie. Uh, doesn't violate our rule of being terrible. So so it's interesting. I like it. I like it quite a lot, actually. I, it, I don't know if you have X- HBO Max, but it's on HBO Max now. You can watch it with, uh, without having... Right now, I can't watch anything. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That's right. That's right. That's right. You just think about movies to watch. No, well, see, I've got Battle Royale on. I still have Netflix DVDs to the mail. I didn't, realize, I didn't realize that Quentin Tarantino had been such a fan of Battle Royale. So he says it's the best movie that has been made since he's been directing. But he does uh, he does have an asterisk. Hmm. Says, if not for its sequels, The Matrix would have been the best movie. Ooh, that's, oh gosh. I'll, I'm going to shoot Quentin an email and we're going to have him on and have debate because uh i like the matrix a lot but it is pastiche is probably too harsh a word but it is obviously has many influences from 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 many iconic science fiction films and there's that's not a crime the matrix is a great movie its sequels are toilet paper which is what he 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 said and i agree with him that the sequels were so hateful that it was impossible to rewatch the first movie with the same eyes that watched it for the first time and i mostly agree with that i I actually still really like the first film. I, I, no, I adore The Matrix. I like it a lot. It's 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 got a delicious paranoia about it. It's it's uh, it's great action. Very inspired by the kung fu wire work. But one of the things I was it sounded like maybe I was criticizing it for being for for taking so many different inspirations. But it does a lot. It, it does it does a lot of new things with all of these inspirations. It's inspired wire work. It's the Wachowskis do a great job of making all this material their own. At the end of it, there is no sensible place to go story-wise. I mean, when I heard that they were making sequels, I was one of the few people who was not excited. Yeah. Because I was like, there's no place to go with this story. And you were very right. No, I I I, I mean I agree. I remember seeing Matrix reloaded. I don't think I don't I can't remember if we saw it together, but um it was I was a very forgettable experience, you know. <laughs> it, it really was. And 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 
I was baffled by it. Well, and, do you remember the philosophy scene at the end of Matrix 2? Yeah, the architect was the architect, what was it? Or not? Yes, no. yes. And and I was like, they're trying to shoehorn in sort of the sort of one of the big scenes in Ghost in the Shell from a Japanese animation and yeah. all of the bad sociology of the 1990s. Yeah. I was like, if they say Foucault, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind here. And it was boring. It was it was the like it was like, okay, we're gonna take hey, I got an idea, Keanu. Listen to this. Listen to this. We're gonna take this final the finale action beat and turn it into a lecture. What do you think? Whoa. No one understands. Whoa, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think I think sociology 101 is a great way to end the movie. And, and, and then and then revolutions. They abandon all of that and then just turned it into like a Star Wars ripoff. Well, that yeah, and and instead of going to the cerebral ghost in the shell route without really understanding, without really trying to build any of that into the screenplay, they go uh, basically the Gundam mech fight route, which Gundam is a popular Japanese anime with giant mechs or Robotech. Basically, it's like a Robotech fight at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. And the, the directors wanted there to be a lot of dramatic weight with a bunch of new characters that we had never met before. Right. You know, like the general of the of the resistance. He's like having this fight and he's about to get killed. You know, it's, it's oh, Jim Bowie at the end of... The Alamo. Uh, at the, Alamo, you know, and the only thing I could think of was like, who gives a shit about this guy? Right. You know, it should have just been a bunch of different people fighting. Nobody gives a shit. You know, this is, you know, we don't have a Lando for this scene. You know, you didn't establish that in the second movie. The second movie had gone off the rails when the secondary fight with Lawrence Fishburne and Trinity is the exciting place where we were really worried about the characters, right? Yeah. Because there's there's like these twin battles going on and and Keanu's fighting a bazillion guys and uh, Agent Trinity, Smith, yeah, yeah, and Trinity and oh, uh, that is the most boring thing I have ever seen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'll get to why in a second. Uh, why I thought it was, and why I thought it was in real time, because I was, I was like, I don't care about this Keanu Reeves business over here because there's no stakes. I want to, I want to see more of Lawrence Fishburne and and Trinity because they were being, they weren't going to win. They were about to die, and that was all harrowing. But Keanu Reeves is fighting these guys, and one of these guys swings a giant broadsword at Keanu Reeves and he does this and catches it and the guy pulls the sword back and there's a thin paper cut on Keanu Reeves and the guy says he bleeds we can kill him and I'm like no you fucking can't in the movie theater this is what I thought in my head no you fucking can't you hit him with your best weapon as hard as you could and you produced a paper cut and he's already assassinated half of you you guys should pack it up it's over right let him go save his friends and in the third one he also has another 50, 50 agent Smith fight and what I thought in that was like oh CGI has come a long way they could do a pretty good Superman movie <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. I hated both those films. I'm totally with you. Uh, yeah, I, I I hated them as well. And the first one, I I kind of agree with Quentin Tarantino that the first time I watched it, it, it was uh, it was an eye opener. Uh, sadly, some language from that film is as as infiltrated pop culture in the worst possible. Red pill, the red pill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. It's too bad. It's it marred an otherwise great science fiction movie. I think I, I I would agree. But 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 I'm kind of gratified that Quentin Tarantino was like, you know, this would have been my favorite but it's not anymore because of the sequel <laughs> because of the sequels now that's that actually says a lot and, and it's str strange how much it's echoed in our own experience that it's not often that sequels can 
can ruin a film for me because Jaws 3 has no effect on my appreciation of Jaws 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. But it is the case that 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 Jaws uh, sorry, the, the the Matrix sequels have affected my appreciation of the first film. Yeah. I I I I totally agree that uh the X-Men is a very interesting series because it started off so well, derailed, then got back on the rails, then derailed again, then then would have branch films that got back on the rails. Uh, it's actually a very interesting series. It know? is. It is. It's it get the credit that it deserves. Well, uh what was I going to say? Oh, we have a film to review. We do have a film to review. Uh so Sylvester Stallone in The Wolverine. Actually, the right size for the role, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he would be good at it. No. No, no he could not be good at it. Um, did you tell me that Sam Raimi was directing the next Doctor Strange movie? Yeah. No, you didn't. I didn't. I thought I had. I, I, I know I had talked about it with somebody. It wasn't me. Wasn't you. Sorry, sorry. Who else are you podcasting with? Wasn't in a podcast. Um, uh, no, no, no. Who did I talk to about this? Probably Anya. Probably Anya. That's who we talk about. Yeah, yeah. So um, the reason I discovered this, the cinematographer for this film is the cinematographer for the next Doctor Strange film. Ah. As well as he also did X-Men First Class, and he's worked with uh, Ridley Scott three times. Okay. Yeah, so so he's a pro. Well, yeah, yeah. You get you get pros for these kinds of things. So here's a quick question for you while we get, while we get, while we get prepped for our show what is your opinion of Raimi in this position as Doctor Strange director I, I, I'm very excited about it I still like and in fact I, I want to re-watch the his Spider-Man movies because I adored them when I first saw them then I went through a period where I thought oh maybe they're a little dated and now I'm starting I'm starting to emotionally come back to the first two yeah I've never I've actually never felt that way about the first two the, the third one doesn't exist I don't know why you're talking about. No, no, that okay. That has never changed. Beginning with Iron Man and, and going forward, mm-hmm. there, there were some things about Raimi's style that rang a little problematic for a couple years. Okay, but then just last night, raindrops keep falling on my head. Came up on my YouTube when I when I listen to music sometimes. Yeah, yeah. like songs and whatever comes up next, I'll hit play on. Yeah. And I remembered that he used that in Spider Man too. And and I decided I I I love that i love that he did that because now we're so used to marvel films channeling other genres referring to other films that at the time in the theater i remember thinking why are they doing this why are they why are they using bj thomas's raindrops keep falling i mean i look i had seen i had seen butch and sundance i knew what he was trying to do but it felt a little odd in 2004 to do that and now now i look at it and i think you know that's um that's a great cinematic nod that I really appreciate. And so I kind of want to go back to those movies now. Well, we should definitely, maybe we should tackle them for the podcast at some point. But but for me, they've never felt bad or even dated that much. I, I mean, this the effects certainly don't aren't as good as the modern effects. But I, I you and I will forgive that. If the rest of the film holds up, I don't mind that the effects don't don't look as good as the modern effects. But for me, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1 and 2 is fairly perfect in that what it is doing, at least for me, is adapting the first 10 or 20 issues of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And it does that it sort of captures that time period and funnels it through Aunt May and Uncle Ben yeah. uh, by making them older, much older. 
which was which was true of Aunt May. I mean, she was older in the in the comic book. She was like perpetually ninety one or eighty nine, something, you know. But but by doing that, they were able to sort of channel the sort of values that 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 animated Stanley and and Steve Ditko and that generation that was writing to young people at the time. You know, this is what you do. I mean, you don't have to be perfect, everybody, but it's not simple Americana. It's not. It's not without its grayness. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's a very, I, I think Marvel was a very, almost a very honest uh, bunch of storytellers. And and yeah, even though they're putting people in spandex and being silly, I don't know. I thought Sam Raimi was his job. He, he saw his job as adapting Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And he did it, I think. So, I mean, I, I whenever I watch those movies, I'm like, oh, this is this is the first 20 issues of Spider-Man. Now, I, I, I agree. You know, now, just as an aside, which again, kind of will build into the X-Men universe. I remember when X2 came out and I I was kind of oblivious to it. And you said, yeah, you want to go see X2? And I, and I remember asking you, well, how is it? And you said, it's better than Spider-Man. And, and, and I immediately got money out of my pocket. Like, Let's go. <laughs> I gotta see, and uh, and because I was skeptical, not not because I didn't think it would be good, but I love Spider Man so much. Yeah, yeah. I went back to see Spider Man four times. I'm sure I did the same. I really loved it, and you said with conviction, it's better than Spider Man. And I remember walking out of X two saying, "You're right," <laughs> because it, because I felt X two was that good. Um, yes, yes. And sp- but then to me, Spider Man two uh, even raised the bar above that. Absolutely. Now, so so for me, yeah, I yeah, so I I I I mean, I still think Spider Man is a great film. So it never really, it's never, it's never waned really in my mind. I it's it's not as I don't think it's as good necessarily as some other comic book films. Obviously, it it has that it has that that man do your best, try and do good for other people. Stan Lee feel, you know what I mean? Like I kind of like I kind of I just like how Stan Lee. It is, you know, how early Marvel it is. Well, okay. So um, before we before we go into this film, let's yeah. dive in just one second. Okay. Because I see what you're saying. And, you know, and I, as we know from our Superman podcast, I do not penalize a film for when it came out. Yeah. Because I, I said Superman is still my, my number one. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying really is very similar to what I think we both said about Superman. And so I would say to you, is it undated in a way that Superman is undated? Ooh, I think that's, I think that's actually quite fair. I think that might be, I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. It helps the film too, that unintentionally, it's sort of shot like Superman. It's almost, uh, and the the Batman movie for that matter, in that you can, you can pan across those screens and it's almost any time period, New York. You know what I mean? Yes. Now, let's see. And that's why, uh, just in, I, that's why I like um, Tobey Maguire better than Andrew Garfield. Okay. Yeah. yeah. didn't dislike Andrew Garfield, but Andrew Garfield was very late 2000s. Tobey Maguire could have been 1960. He had the he had the part to the side. He had the glasses, and, and and Tom Holland is the same way. Yes, yes. Well, that's one of the things I like about both those actors. My only problem with Andrew Garfield is that he's a hip Peter, and that's almost against the character. Peter is awkward, shy, nerdy, and Andrew Garfield is the cool kid. Yeah. I, I I actually enjoy Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man quite a lot, and I love the way they built the Gwen Stacy romance. Actually, I thought that was really nice. Um, no, I I I remember noticing that and describe. I, I remember talking to you about that. That yeah. there was some nice kind of almost cinematic moments. Oh, where, absolutely. 
where they're in the hallway at the school and it's clear they both like each other but they're not really sh- n- neither one of them is going to say it yeah uh, and, and neither one of them thinks the other is necessarily interested but we know it yeah and there's kind of this like multiple pivot that they do to each other oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know they walk away but then they pivot back and then they walk away and they pivot back and it's just it's a really great kind of visual depiction of two people who like each other and don't notice that the other one is totally right they're not picking up the signals yeah and the other thing that the film has going for it i love the uncle ben and aunt may from the spider-man the sam raimi spider-man films but my goodness martin sheen and sally field are wonderful as aunt may and yeah and and, uh uncle ben and i i I like that there's some tension between uncle ben and 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 peter a couple times and i and i thought they did a really good job with the death of uncle ben and that but i think my main problem with it is that peter's a cool kid cool from the cool from the word go whereas the stan lee peter was was a nerdy kid nobody hated him nobody nobody i mean not even flash thompson really hates peter he's just easy to dismiss or easy to you know kind of make. yeah yeah and peter's challenge is is coming to grips with the fact that he's actually much more capable than he was you know before he got bit and i thought i think that the sam raimi film actually does a good job of of tackling that uh that that transformation because yeah, I, mean, I i still think that you know that that uh that scene where uh where ben and peter are, are having their their fight and he's like well i didn't start that fight well you damn sure what you damn well finished it and and they have a nice moment and they and i think they deliver the line very well so well in fact that when the garfield movie came they didn't try and duplicate that they did a different line well uh cliff robertson was a, a, a very important actor that a lot of people he, he one of those important character actors mm-hmm. when we were kids we knew him as the guy that did the at&t commercials okay yeah, yeah. and he replaced rod serling doing the twilight zone in the 80s i had no idea he was the narrator. So I, I knew who Cliff Robertson was. So when he was Uncle Ben, I, I knew who he was. I, I I had no I had no illusions about that. I, I agree with you. To me, the bigger sin of the amazing Spider-Man film was not making Andrew Garfield cool. I I understood that they had to change some things. No, oh, yeah, yeah. You can't just do the same thing. I understand that. The problem was making Peter Parker's father a scientist that led to him becoming this because you talk about Stan Lee, Steve Ditko. The whole point, and, and and you know, I mean, you'd have to almost grow up in the '60s to know this. But the whole the whole advertisement campaign for Spider-Man in those 15 cent comics was the hero that could be you. In other yeah. words, there was nothing special about him. It was random. It was a total random thing that he didn't plan for. He didn't expect. It was nobody that he knew. He was just at the right place at the right time, and it changed his life. And and the unforgivable thing about the Andrew Garfield films, and, and there's good things about them. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I did quite enjoy them. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to an extent. But the problem was, is that you had, when you remove the, you're talking about the coolness, and you're totally right. But when you also remove the randomness, it, it's almost not Spider-Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I. that's right. It's almost a different character. All right. We're going to give Jason the last word on Andrew Garfield's Spider-Verse. Uh, if you like this meander... 
and you want to hear more of our pre-show or after-show conversations, where I think we do say some interesting things, let me know. You can connect with me at lordmovies39 at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on the separate test at, on Twitter. Remember to like and share the show on all the things, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Email us to your favorite relative, or if you think we're not that great, email us to your least favorite relative. Give us a five-star review at Apple I2, Apple I, what is it? Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps people find the show. And uh, that's all I got. Join us next week for Logan. And good night, or good morning, good afternoon, and bye-bye.